Welcome to our Bible class. Please open with us to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We will continue our studies at verse 17 in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We will complete the study of 1 Timothy, ready to begin 2 Timothy next time. Now, let's read verses 17 through 21 in 1 Timothy chapter 6. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. This text gives us further opportunity to bring clarity to that important subject of money and material possessions. I want to mention something I brought up in an earlier class. No matter where you are economically, no matter where you are compared to others in your financial assets or possessions, greed covetousness, or materialism could be your spiritual downfall. If you barely have the necessities, if you have little above the necessities, or if you have abundance far above the basics, I'm saying no matter where you are economically compared to others, greed, covetousness, or materialism can be your spiritual downfall. Nobody can skip this passage. Nobody should try to define themselves out of this, even if temptation for others may be more intense than what you experience. It is wise to apply all of this to yourself. If, in fact, you later determine you are not rich in this sense Paul used the term. You do yourself no harm but great good by applying what this passage is saying. And I would remind us to many people around the world, every one of us are rich. It is a term relative to one's need, location, and opportunity. Let me develop that. Even when you factor in the economic differential, compared to most first century Christians, we are rich. Even if we have less than our neighbor, we have more than the early Christians. So you may look down the street and your neighbor has a more expensive house, three or four vehicles and a couple of boats. And your impulsive conclusion is, I am poor, he is rich. Often what that means is your neighbor is in debt. But my point is, we are very quick to make comparisons 
that define us as poor. And then when we come to a passage like this, we ignore it. I'm saying compared to most first century Christians, we're living very high, very rich, even extravagant. In Hebrews 10 verse 34, you get an idea of first century persecution and the economic impact on Christians. Hebrews 10, 34, for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Did you know some Christians came home from their assemblies back then to find they no longer had a home. And did you know in one of those cases of benevolence in the New Testament, the ones who gave liberally to help were themselves poor? 2 Corinthians chapter 8. There is both biblical and secular evidence. Many of those early Christians were poor, sometimes as a consequence of their rich and active faith. So, compared to my neighbor with four cars and a boat, I may think I'm not rich. Compared to most first century Christians, I am exceedingly rich and compared to many people in the world. I'm very wealthy. I've said all that in an effort to get each of us to study and apply this passage to our situation. Don't spend a lot of time trying to put yourself into an economic category where you won't have to apply the passage. Just apply the passage and it will do you good. So the passage says, do not be haughty. One of the silliest games people play, adults, is to think more highly of themselves because they have more than others, either more money or more education. It is childish. That arrogant, haughty self-celebration that I have more than you, therefore I'm better than you, that's immature, carnal, arrogant. Christians just don't think like that. Further, do not set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. There is something to be said in terms of biblical stewardship for saving, taking care of your future needs, and being disciplined about that. But we must all realize there will always be an uncertainty that is attached to money, to riches, to possessions, assets. All of us have known people who have lost everything. And without any personal fault, there was a disaster, a medical event, an unexpected turn in the economy. If you get so close to riches that you depend on riches, love riches, and derive your identity from riches, you set yourself up for disappointment. So Paul says, set your hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So it will do us no harm, even if we do not consider ourselves wealthy to take heed to this teaching. Don't be arrogant 
thinking you're great because of what you have more than others. Don't trust your riches. Set your hope on God. Verse 18. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Here we discover we can all be rich. Rich in what really matters. Now again, I want to stress, even if you never consider yourself to be rich by any standard, applying verse 18 will work to your spiritual benefit. In fact, we're going to do everything in verse 18, no matter what our economic condition is, because we are Christians. For instance, it says, do good. Now, who's going to argue that because they are not rich, they don't have to do good? Nobody will reason that way, at least not out loud. We all want to use all we have, little or a lot, to be good people and to do good. And even if you have meager resources and little in the bank, you have to be rich in good works. See, you can be rich. Maybe not in cars and boats. Maybe not with bank accounts and stocks and profitable investments and dividends. But every one of us can be rich in good works. Do you realize God set up a system whereby he receives and blesses givers who may only be able to give very little compared to others. In 1 Corinthians 16, 2 and 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, God, through Paul, says we give according to what we have. Sometimes it's called proportional giving. So no matter what your financial level is, you can do good with your life and your time and your resources, however limited, and you can be rich in good works. Then it says, be generous and ready to share. I don't know anybody who can't be generous in some way, at some level, to the best of their ability. Generosity isn't just the playground of the rich, and nobody can teach you generosity like Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, for your sakes, he became poor. There's nobody who can read verses 16, I'm sorry, 17 and 18 in 1 Timothy 6 and say they are exempt. It applies to all of us. Words and phrases there can be applied to everybody. Thus, verse 19, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. There is, Paul says, a true life. A true life is life with God, made possible through Jesus Christ, accessed, entered by the activity of our faith. This true life can be received and lived by anyone with a good and honest heart, no matter their income, holdings, poverty, or wealth. Our real hope and foundation against the future is storing up the treasure of good works and generosity in Christ. Verses 20 and 21, Paul's appeal to the young evangelist Timothy. 
Old Timothy. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. This is Paul's final charge to Timothy in this letter. Guard what was committed to your trust. The gospel, sound doctrine, had been committed into the hands of Timothy. Now he must assume the daily responsibility of guarding that trust, being faithful and diligent to his commitment to preach only the word. False teaching, on the other hand, Timothy is to avoid. One translation says, turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is false, but called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have wandered from the faith. Turn away from, avoid, turn a deaf ear to, one translation says. There are some things we shouldn't even listen to. Godless chatter, that which is called science or knowledge, but is a message opposing God and sound doctrine. Why listen to this? Turn a deaf ear to godless chatter. In Paul's concluding prayer, grace be with you. That's God's favor, God's blessing. Timothy could be sustained by God's grace as he kept his charge. Wrap up. Takeaways, three things. Being haughty, self-righteous, and arrogant is never okay. No matter your money, your knowledge, your popularity, your looks, your connections, or your talent, the watchword of the Christian is humility. Nothing will ever justify boasting, congratulating yourself, or holding a parade in your honor. We have to learn humility from Christ. Number two, re-examine where you have set your hope. Keep well in mind, you may be well provided for in terms of retirement and life insurance and savings and all that. That's good stewardship, no doubt. But keep your hope fixed on God. That message from the text is for all of us. If you are able to plan for a good retirement, that's great. But if you can't work that out in your circumstance, you can still be a Christian and go to heaven. Number three, be generous and ready to share. Generosity is not limited to money. You can give encouragement. You can give gratitude. You can give time. You can give your ears to someone. Give the truth. Don't limit generosity to money. That's 1 Timothy 6. 17 through 21. Next, the next video, we're into Paul's letter to Timothy, which is called Second Timothy. Thank you for being with us.